Yeah, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Welcome back to another episode. Really happy to have you. We have Mateus Wells, the CEO of Muse, on the show. Muse is a really cool travel, you know, sort of a company that helps travel-related companies grow. But before we get too far into this, and you know, I'll let Mateus describe a lot more himself. I really would love to ask a favor. Please, if you like the show, go leave us a review. It helps us so much, not just for us to improve, but also for the various podcast hosting platforms and you know the listening platforms to recommend the show to the right type of people, other entrepreneurs who may be interested in learning from you know, these entrepreneurs we have on the show. So please, if you have the opportunity, just go leave us a review. We would really, really, really be happy, especially if it's like a five, you know, then I'll sit there and clap and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I really like talking with my dad because he has this background where he's been in the travel industry for so long and so consistently that you can see where this kind of evolved into where Muse became. Yeah, he was fast-tracked through the Hilton Management Training Program. Um, he's been in a couple of other really cool companies. And I think today it'll be a lot of fun to get into you know, where he talks about the constant need to be evolving as an entrepreneur. We talk about the growth and the consistency and the need for, sorry, the consistent need for change, not the consistent, but the consistent need for change on other episodes. But I think listening to his approach of consistently working on evolving as he grows, as things change within the company allows him to grow. And I think that's really interesting because he approaches it very straightforwardly. And that's a lot of fun to listen to and to take, you know, maybe some ideas from. Also, how he uses his coaches and his board members. Very specifically, he'll break it down, talk about how he used them for different situations, where their value is. That is very, very worthwhile because I know at times it gets hard running a business to know who to ask or when to ask. And you know, I know me, I don't want to ask too much of my advisors, but at times I probably should ask more. So it's really cool to kind of get into it, how he approaches this. And, um, you know, we, most of us are becoming remote friendly, but it's always worthwhile to hear from someone who's been doing it from before the pandemic. So really, it is interesting um, when he describes how they built their culture, what it means to them and what they're doing to expand and what it means for him personally. Kind of cool, because I think sometimes we think about it either as a cost or a quickness or a talent, but we don't really approach it from the value it gets for us. So look, great interview. I really enjoyed talking to us. So let's go get him on the show and hear what he has to say. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hello, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you here today. My pleasure. I know you are talking about returning to Amsterdam, but I love Prague. I and but I haven't been there since God at the early '90s, so it's been just a little bit since I was a student over in Eastern Europe. So I'm really jealous of all the great beer you get to have. 
I don't think it's changed much since the 90s. I think it's um, it, like the buildings, <laughs> the bridge and the castle, they are pretty much the same. The coffee's got better since then. Yes, I've heard great things about the coffee um, and that, and just all the sort of like more of the digital nomad crowd that gets you get there now that didn't yeah. really exist back when I was studying in Budapest, but taking the train and the buses up <laughs> to go, <laughs> go drink for weekends. Uh, up there in Prague. But no, I mean, it's really great to have you because I've been diving through Muse and just, you know, as I was just telling the audience a second ago, and it's such a cool company, the way you're doing it, because it, it's in one sense, very straightforward. Yet, you know, the value you guys create is really, really interesting in a space that I don't, you know, I would not have thought of that because my career and everything just other than going to hotels, just never really thought of that value creation. So that's what, you know, given the background and your partners and everything, I think is so cool. Where do you see yourself now on your own journey here as the CEO of Muse? Like it's, it's a, it's a hard one because it, it changes so rapidly. If you build your own business and it does well, you constantly shape shift into a new version of yourself. And I love that. I, I love the constant change. And I almost get bored when I don't feel uh, that I'm moving up or changing fast enough. But I constantly think that I'm about to retire. And like, I, I tell my friends, like, in five years, I'll retire. And then here I am five years later thinking five more years is when I'll retire. Um, and I think that's what the beauty is of this business is just this constant evol evolution. And as long as you can keep up with it, then there's a space for you. And it, it is my worry. Will I be able to keep up with the growth of the company or will I hold them back? And the moment I start holding back the business, that's for me the point to actually exit because I will hold back the value of the company and I'd be in a better place to just be on the board than to run it. But for now, I'm, 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 I'm in a good place. Well, I want to get into that. But before that, you said something that I love because I've heard it used in different other situations, but never in, never in talking about this but becoming a different shape of you. That's just such a cool way of thinking about it, especially as an entrepreneur, because yeah, I mean, you still are yourself. So, you know, how do you see yourself in different situations becoming a new variation of you? Like it's, I posted the other day about being a micromanager and, and I love to be in the detail because as yes. an entrepreneur, I, I really dive into the detail because I'm passionate about what we do. But when you have, we now have almost 700 employees, I just cannot do that. And I cannot set that example that I should be in the detail. I, I need to set the strategy for the company. And so I, I instinctively know that I shouldn't get involved. And the moment I get that urge, I need to tell myself, actually, no, that isn't your job. And if I feel it is my job, or if I feel I need to get involved, there's something wrong with the underlying structure of the organization. And I need to address that specifically. Uh, we just came out of a leadership meeting where a topic came up and I wanted to have the discussion. I got excited about the topic, but I was like, no, we shouldn't be discussing this at our level. And how did it get here became my question to that discussion. Not how did we solve that situation, but how did this topic get to us? And it bypassed several layers of management to get into our room. Well, I think I like that because that does get very much done to the second part of what you said, sort of evaluating it. How, you know, in your post where you talked about micromanaging, um, you're working on your micromanaging and LinkedIn, everyone, you talked about working with a coach. How do you, how do you make sure that you are one keeping, you know, and you work with the coach, but then two, making sure that you are 
you know, as you said, you keep rolling forward your five years. How are you evaluating your, you know, not just your value to the company, but your desire to create and manage and develop that value? Like there's not a real strategy to it, to be honest. Like it, so what we do is we've got a coach for the individuals in the leadership team and then she coaches us as a group as well at the same time. And she will, um, you know, I go into that meeting often thinking, I don't know what I have to talk about. I think I'm good. And I walk away two hours later thinking, whoa, we just talked about these topics because she asked really punchy questions about how we're managing situations. And through that, I myself discover that we have challenges and then I end up walking away with much more. So in the, in the day to day, I, I continue to think that I'm doing a fabulous job until she comes in and asks me questions about how we structured certain decisions and, and what we're doing. And it leads to a much better leadership team. One of the things we did last year was we said, well, we want, we, we've got this constantly revolving leadership team that's natural because you're growing at a pace where not everyone, you know, is able to scale up to the next level. So every time a new leader comes in, you go back to forming as a team. And so what we do is every three months, we have this coach come bring us together into a room where we actually spend two days in the room getting to know each other again over and over. And the level of trust that we've now built into our leadership team is, is at a level where I think everyone gives each other feedback. So when, when someone feels that I am showing the right, wrong behavior, like I'm, I'm micromanaging the situation, people can tell me now because they, they understand that there's a level of trust there. But the trust building is a really big thing that we've, we've embarked on in the last year that has really put us at a very different level of leadership than we were a year before. So this trust building, is this from the outcome of working with the coach or is this something specific that the management team that you and the, man, and the rest of them, the leadership have decided to start pushing? How did that come about and sort of at what point did you realize that was necessary? Like what was going on that kind of pushed that? I mean, you were talking about everyone growing and so many people. Yeah. Like the, the challenge that we, we had um, is that you never have a perfect leadership team. There's always one person or two people that you're like, I'm not sure if this is this journey. And we, we, we talk, tend to address that as fast as we see it not working out, which is the hard thing because every time we have to address that, that means in the interim, it falls on me as a CEO to lead that sub department. But we do like, we made some really hard decisions in the past few years and it's led to us bringing in real like talent that have scaled through some of the challenges that we're about to face. So we really look for these leaders that have scaled up companies several times over. And yeah. like, cause I don't know what I don't know because I have this is my first CEO gig. So I surround myself with really smart people that have lived through that, but who also have the emotional intelligence to go back to square one with us and go through that and do that in a really structured way. So, so one is us just making better hiring decisions on the leadership team. But the other part is, you know, really consciously saying to the coach, saying we need to talk about the relationships inside the team. And I feel that, like whenever I ask our coach saying, how do we manage that? Um, you know, I, I know that there's friction between these two people and, and then it comes down to trust. And that's where she drives the discussion to um, really understanding each other's motivations personally. So last time we had an offsite that we did an exercise where she said, Talk about an experience in your earlier stage life that has made you who you are today. And it, it led to people sharing really personal fragments of their life. And it really underlined why they do things to the, the way they do them today. And it, it brought us all so much together. And it was such a simple exercise in hindsight. And I'm like, oh, why didn't we do this way sooner? But that's what you bring a coach in for. 
I like that. And I mean, just to kind of dive a little bit, just also for the audience to be, you know, they're listening here about what size of the company or what was going on in the company that you decided to bring on that coach or previous, you know, to begin this process with coaches about where were you? So we were about to embark on a massive growth spurt. So one, we just, so, so we're a hospitality tech company. So COVID hit and like 70% of our customers physically closed the doors on their hotels. So we went through a complete transformation. We had to let go of, unfortunately, 220 people, scale back to half the size. And then after a few months realizing, actually, these hotels, this is the perfect time for transformation. So we went from scaling back to rapidly scaling up. Today, we're, you know, at the worst point of COVID, we were 200 people. And today, we're 700 people. So you can imagine the growth we've gone through in the last two years and how what, a, yes. what an impact that has on the organization. And about a year and a half ago, um, our chief people officer said, I think we need to bring someone professional in to help us really shape our team. Um, and I thought that was a, a really good shout. And we're so glad that we did that. But it does matter what who the coach is, that there has to be uh, a unanimous liking of that coach that you're willing to share your personal. And it, it was really hard for us to find someone who connects well with the tech people, but also with the finance people and also with the people people. Um, and it's, that's the really hard thing to find the right coach for the right team. No, I, I've worked with some coaches and I've worked with what I consider one like gold standard coach, some very good coaches. And then, you know, I've had exploratory with a lot of others. And it is funny that difference, not funny, not funny, haha, as the joke goes, but, um, between a really good one who just understands and is it sometimes it's just so simple what they're telling you. Yep, they're saying it in such a way that it resonates with everyone involved. Yeah. yeah being and the price tag is scary, moment. right? If you're an entrepreneur, you've, you know, <laughs> I, we had really tough years and like every euro I would turn over. I'm like, oh, do we want to spend this? And suddenly I'm spending huge sums of money on these coaches. And, but it, the value is really there. And it is an investment into the most important leaders in the company. And if you invest in them, there's a return on investment. But that bill, when that bill hits every month, like it hurts me deeply. <laughs> no, I, I remember that. I mean, uh, <laughs> it is that crazy. Just like you're doing, you're looking at everything and it just sits there because it's always that thing where so many other bills that are really bad are just automated or pretty straightforward. It's coaches and a few other things. I always remember you have to like, actively engage with and it's just like oh this is <laughs> well given the benefit you got in this in this sort of huge like almost like a re yeah rebalancing and then faster growth of the company through working of coaches what other things have you felt have had a huge impact in your ability to be the ceo you know in either you know in this kind of period of time what else has helped you like one is is the ability to shape your own team. And I think that's where my relationship with the founder of the company is really strong. And and whilst we're wildly different in how we stand in life, the agree like we have real agreements on the direction of the company. And having someone there to work with you through some of these really tough decisions has been uh, critical. And I on my own wouldn't probably be where I am today without Richard being in the room. And I think having a partner in crime is a really important aspect to the role. 
our board members, they, they do a lot for us, like way more than I ever thought. I remember in the early days of Muse when I was like, do we really need a board? Like, what are these people going to add to the, the, the business in some way? And initially we were just looking for money. Like we just need money. We will, we know what to do, which was true in the early stage. But at some point, as you start scaling, you don't know how to scale and you don't yet have the talents um, or the money for the talents that, that you can bring in. And we, we got a, a really serious investor in, in the SaaS space and just the network that they bring in where they can help solve challenges themselves or bring in people. Um, and they've been so instrumental in the boardroom asking really smart questions that I don't always like answering because they're, they're really smart questions and they're really difficult answers to give to that. But having a really good board member will really push you as an entrepreneur to the next level because you have to find answers and you'll dig deep to find them because you don't want to disappoint the board. Um, and, and that's really been quite transformational. And every time we do a funding round, we really try and get the right um, investor in. We don't just look at the valuation. Uh, we, we actually look at who's the one that's going to be in the boardroom. And is that a person that I can imagine working with for the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years? Because we're doing a slow growth, massive um, enterprise business. And it's, it's probably easier to get out of a marriage than to get out of a, an investor. That's what I've been told. So we really think three times about the person that we're bringing in that room. Yeah, having I'm an LP in a few um, angel and VC funds, and then I've been advisors to a few CEOs. And yeah, I I had a good friend who grew his company, did all this amazing stuff, and yet the invest he had given up, I think, too much control. And like it was amazing looking at the contract, just the amount of control the investors had. And, you know, it is all relative to the type of deals you put together, the type of growth you have, the situation when you're raising, you know, some people, you know, if you got lucky and raised last year versus, or, you know, early last year versus now, big differences. But, you know, the type of control and the type of investors is always going to be funny. I'm, I'm out um, buying a, um, I'm in the middle of buying a company a marketing service, and we'll leave it there because I'm in the, it's still in due diligence. But it is funny, and just talking to the potential banks, the potential partners, and just what's out there on one level, as you said, it is just like, oh, what's the money? What's what's your ability to just help me do X? But then when you look deeper, it's like, oh, can you help me go further? Can you help me position this? Where can you, yeah, you know, that extra value around doing that? Sorry. Now, so recently you brought us some strategic. Um, investors and they're smaller investors, right? They, they didn't have a board seat, but we found because they're strategic, they open doors that we couldn't open ourselves. Um, and, and it is important to not obviously overload yourself with a bunch of investors, but really think about some of these smaller investors yeah. that are very keen to prove their worth because they will work harder sometimes than some of these really big investors because they, you know, have a whole portfolio. Um, and we found that the strategic investors actually have real value to our business directly. Is it because they're helping you find new deals? Or are they helping hire? What is sort of the value you're seeing? Yeah, so so we have, for example, a strategic investor that have links to some of the bigger hotel companies. So they have uh, backdoor access to CEOs of hotel companies. And we wouldn't sell to the CEO of a major hotel company, but we get information and there's a voice coming down from above um, and we will still work, you know, the management companies that sit behind there and the hotel owners, but having that access to, to C-suite is, is really valuable down the line. 
Yeah, because in the end of the day, you got you know the further along you can make the strategic value of it, the easier it makes for their yeah you know, for their usage of you, which is big. Well, before you know, I want to kind of go into yeah you because know, pre-show you talked a little bit about what you were going to be doing soon, but before we do that, where are you looking to take Muse now? Like, what is the big audacious you know be your BHAG for the company right now? Like the one of the big shifts that we've made is going from SMB to enterprise or mid-market, we call it. And and you know, most of the cloud providers in our industry, they start in the SMB segment, small hotels, and then you know, they they try and grow there. And we've always wanted to go into the enterprise segment, which is where I've come from. I've worked at Hilton and I've seen the incredible pains of yeah. legacy technology. And we really know that there's a massive opportunity there. Oracle is the, the, the number one there. And we're there to take them out because they're not doing a good job and they're doing a disservice to hotels. And like I'm a hotelier and I, I deeply care about hotel experiences. And like they're just holding our industry back. They're holding it hostage almost. And, and, and you see startups struggling and it's where we started as a, as a company ourselves. We just wanted to build a light app that was going to change the guest experience. But good luck trying to get hold of an API in our industry. Um, like you'd have to pay 50,000 euros to, to get access to an API and integrate and then still get through certification. So, so we just said, let's just build that. Let's build that enterprise layer in the organization with an open API. Um, and it's been really transformational for the hotels that we serve today. Um, but there's a mission, to, you know, we were probably not even covering 1% of the market today. So we have quite a few years of hard work ahead of us. So you're becoming a shark, basically. You're on the prowl for, yeah, one of the, <laughs> I like that because the specific target, I mean, in that industry, it makes so much sense, you know, with very, just more familiarity of size and sort of dominance of, you know, arc there compared to, you know, without knowing the specifics, that does make sense because it gives you a nice straightforward goal. It's like, okay, what are we going to be? <laughs> We're going to be them. That's yeah. kind of cool to get, you know, point your team towards and create more value. I like that definition definitely makes it more there. As you look at that, you know, you've talked about the coaching you're bringing in, you're talking about sort of the team building and trust, you know, the movement towards, you know, moving sort of the efforts down the funnel. How, what, what type of things do you think are going to change, especially now that you are focusing again on the next five years, you know, not again, but just that you are evaluating. What do you think is going to change as you attack this, you know, premier player in the space? How are you? How do you think the company is going to have to change yet again from where you are now? Like we've obviously gone from startup where it was just a bunch of guys in the basement drinking and 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 coding, and that was fun, to us being a real professional organization. Um, but we're definitely not like at the level that we should be. Um, in order to own this market. And I think there's a professionalization that will happen in our culture um, and in our organization structure and dealing with enterprise customers, they expect um, us to have real stakeholders that can do, you know, um, cross-departmental management. And, you know, that's a thing that we haven't done before. Like you had a salesperson, you had a CS person, you're good to go. But suddenly there's so many stakeholders involved that you need to manage and, um, we don't have the organization structure for that today, but we're building the, the groundwork to in order in order to support these big accounts 
that we really do have these stakeholders that can enter and, and support an account from multiple layers. And that's going to be quite a shift in our organization where we're hiring much more senior talent. Um, it, there's always space for junior talent to come in, but we have to really have a strong VP layer that can own those relationships. And in the last year, we've really made a, a number of VP hires that we didn't have before and we didn't need. And now it's really building in the structure around those people and the organization to support the growth that we're about to experience. Like the growth for this year will almost double what we've done in 10 years. So, so it's incredible to see the speed at which we're now accelerating, but things will break along that way. And you need experts that can very quickly help step in and fix that. So I think that's really the biggest shift that we'll see in the next few years. That is, yeah, because it is having built an agency in the past where we went from being what I always called sort of the, uh, we were feasting on the small business units of large companies to then moving to, you know, as we grew bigger to all of a sudden going into the Fortune 500, this, and it was like, oh, I actually can't just be super smart and have some really good people. We need people who can dot the I's and cross the T's and do all the work to make everything sort of stay there. I noticed when I was reading about Muse that you guys are proudly headquartered in Prague, but you're hiring around the world. So are you finding these VPs from around the world? Where are you finding your team now? Yeah. Yeah, so, so pre-COVID, we were very much everyone in an office. I want to see you all working. And our ta like our senior leadership needs to be in those offices. And as COVID happened, we actually learned that actually we didn't need that at all. And our leadership team is pretty much, we have people in 20 countries. Our leadership team is a group of 10 people and we're in five countries. Um, and that covers multiple times as we've got people in, in the US, in Europe. Um, so we're really spread out and it works. Like our organization is just set up for it. So we've gone for, not for a remote first, but a remote friendly talent first. So we really deeply care about the, the talent that we bring in. And we'll figure out how to hire you and how to support you afterwards. So we have a, a product team, for example, in our B2C team that has a tech lead in Nashville, a product manager in Sydney, and then the, the, the developers are sitting here in Prague and it works. Like they just figure it out. These are smart people. They just figure it out. It's their responsibility to, to deal with the time zones. But for some, somehow it's, they, they figured it out because that's, you know, why we brought this talent in. And what it, it does, it gives us access to a whole different level of talent across the world. And that 10x is the speed at which we can develop our products versus having to just fish in a small pond. You, you might get the best person in that pond, but it's not the best person to push the company forward and compete against real massive global companies. Um, and that was really a decision we made two years yeah. ago. And, and you can just feel the level of talent in our organization has just gone up significantly in that time. And it's a more exciting organization to be around. If you're, if you're ambitious and then you want to um, be around that, like not, a, it's not for everyone, right? It's, some people want to have a job from Monday to Friday, nine to five, know that there's a desk for them um, and exactly what their job is going to be. And that's not us. Like we work really hard. Everyone is smart around you. So if you just do your work, you're not going to stand out in our organization because everyone else is smart. Um, but I thrive on it. They make me smarter and they make me work harder. And I love that. No, that is, that is very cool. And that is, yeah, it's a fun situation because, yeah, it is over the past few years, I think a lot of people have been reevaluating and considering the work and what is work. And that's fine and good. 
But the idea that, look, there are these benefits to find the right group of people, the right reason to kind of push in and grow for what you can then both create in the moment, but then create of yourself from your skills, capabilities, let alone financial cap- you know, resources you gain from that. But still, yeah. that is really cool. You're creating that and creating that environment. You had mentioned you know, now of a certain age that you're looking to go back you know, to the Netherlands, go back to your you know, family roots. What are you, you know, and I guess in tangent, because you now said, yes, management's all over you know, five countries. What are you hoping to do on your own journey? Like what's going to be super successful for you on this journey as, you know, as an entrepreneur here? So, so I was not necessarily setting the right example. So I was in Prague, which is where the head office is. And I was like, no, no, I need to be around here. But then I find myself at home working most days because I've also adopted to this new environment. And I thought, why am I not going home? Why am I not? being close to my family because it does matter and i learned that in the pandemic i actually enjoy talking to my family my, i miss my friends very much especially when you get cut off for a few years because of travel restrictions and i uh, you know i don't have a great work-life balance i'll be honest i work 60 hours minimum every single week and as i get older i don't make new friends i i just work harder and and as friends leave and they go do other things your circle gets smaller and smaller. And I, I just realized that I need to make time for my own personal life. So if, I think if I look forward for a few years, I need to make better decisions to get a better work-life balance. So I've hired a chief of staff, for example, who can step into some of the strategic conversations or the rooms that I can't be in all the time. Um, and that's a decision that I we've just hired. I added a PA this year because... I realized I'm too busy planning all my flights and hotels and I've, I've never felt the need for it. But now yes. that I have that person, she makes my life so much better. And I think it's, it, I've got to a better place, but I'm not in a good place. Um, so there's work to be done. All right. And I like that because, yeah, I think a lot of us, you know, it is that practice because same thing. I'm now working with a you know, virtual assistant and the travel and the, and some hands, I'm like, oh, yeah, but I can do that. Yet, just like the fine little bit of extra, it's like, oh, it's done. I'm not like, yeah. or in my case, as I have, like thinking I'm leaving on one day. And then the day before I thought I was leaving, re-looking at my ticket going, oh, I'm leaving tonight. <laughs> it's like, yes, having someone else take care of that. It's even silly things where I, I ask uh, her to find me a seat in the front of the plane every time. Um, and it's such a hassle to then do with the payments of it. But every time I'm the first off the plane, I save 10, 15 minutes on my day. And it's worth it. That 10, 15 yeah, minutes is always, worth yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, especially on like, because I miss, I miss airfare in Europe because in the US, you know, it's, crazy and super expensive but yeah that little bit of paying like okay sure i'll pay 15 more euros to be in the first two rows or something you know it's not that you get a better seat or anything on a lot of the small flights but it's just it is so much nicer getting off yeah yeah i do miss (laughs) that's great (laughs) i'm excited to see what you are able to do here because muse is such a cool company and 
going to Amsterdam is, you know, or sorry, the Netherlands. I always, yes, the three cities kind of there, the triangle and then Harlem sort of up there right above it. I miss the time. I I also studied in Copenhagen years and years ago, but every weekend I used to go just because of the clubs and just the scene in Amsterdam was so much better than, yeah. Copenhagen has become a really great city, but when I studied in the early 90s, it was nice, but nowhere near as much coolness from that. So I'm jealous that you're heading back there. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. This is really cool. And I would love to have you, as you guys move forward, love to have you back on because I think you're you're facing and sort of the process of how you're building your team is really interesting given where a lot of entrepreneurs are sort of moving towards that idea of the complexity that you're you're handling at this point. So thank you and love to have you back on down the road. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.